you guys doing okay though? Everyone's staying healthy. Babies, everybody's good. Knock on wood. Yeah. Yes. Um, we've been very, very, very fortunate. I mean, camp had the flu the first week of March, which I'm assuming was the flu. Right. Um, when we took him to immediate care, they said that they were, even though they were about 90% certain it was the flu. And literally the next week is when they locked down everything. Right. So other than that, cause I actually live with my parents. We have a multi-generational right. home. So right. my parents are here. Right. Yeah. My grandfather's here and he's 87. Yeah. So yeah. we have been like extremely, I haven't right. been to a store since March. Um, right. And the baby Yes. I don't want to say it out loud because I'm afraid I'm going to jinx myself. Don't, don't. I'll just say it. Hey, it sounds good. Sounds good. And so, little Kennedy and little Kennedy's, you know, living, living life as the middle child. She's living life as the middle child. She yep. is the queen bee. Um, yep. Camp actually always submits to whatever she wants. Um, that is and so plays funny. By her, her rules. So she is definitely the <laughs> he's, boss. He's learning really quick on how to be a good husband. Yes, he yes. is. He learns that eventually yes. he always gives Submit. into his do- yes. his sister. <laughs> yes. So no, yes. we've been very lucky. That's so um, funny. Yeah. So I've been podcasting and doing my shows from home. I'm inside of a closet yes. right now. Yes. I and love it. That's a great workspace for you. <laughs> honestly, it's the only place that I think kids aren't attached to me, both literally right, and yes, and you can't even go in the bathroom because you know they're going to come in there. They right. always come in the bathroom. Literally, yeah. this is the only yeah. place in the house that will not bother me. <laughs> yeah. So I've maintained this podcast, which I started after baby three, because I was like, obviously, the one thing I'm passionate about is yeah. being a mom. But then I'm realizing more and more that there yep. are so many women that don't have a good support system, whether no, it's other moms, a good doctor, family nearby, like they don't have a lactation consultant. They don't have someone to ask basic questions too and they right. get overwhelmed or they give up breastfeeding or whatever else because they just don't have somebody to reach out to so that's why i started the podcast was to just let moms tell their story every mom whether they've had fertility issues they've adopted kids they've they're right. divorced what right. they're single moms whatever it may be it's basically open to all <laughs> i'm just so i'm so glad that you're passionate about this because that is just a it's a great great way to reach out to people you know, especially well, like and the I hate moms, the mom feel like community, because it's just hard. It is yeah. hard. Being a parent is very hard because there's no manual. <laughs> no, there's so, no manual for sure. And so that's yep. why I think it's important for women to always realize they're not alone and there's someone there, even if they may not be like your best friend face to face, which no mm-hmm. one's best friends face to face right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, so that's mm-hmm. why Honestly, when I, when you said yes, I was so relieved because oh, I followed good. growing kids, obviously on Facebook, thanks to right. you guys being my pediatrician. Um, yeah. but you guys have been such a great source of information, quality information, oh, um, a resource you. to parents, your doctors, your nurses. I mean, it's to the point where I call and like the nurses know me, like Tasha knows who I am and I forget yes. to say my name. I mean, yes, they or do. they're like, here's my cell phone number. If you need help, just yeah. text me. Yeah. Yep. And so it's, you guys are, you have an incredible practice. Oh, thank you. Well, it's just so a lot I of awesome, s- incredible people for sure. It, you really, well, yeah. you surrounded yourself by awesome, incredible people. And that's a true gift in itself to be able to surround yourself with that. So Aww, thank um, you. I wanted to just go I, rewind just a little bit. Yes. So 
This is That Mom Life, my podcast. And my guest this week is Dr. Christy Lane. And you have now been my pediatrician for, I was about to say, how old is my son? He will be seven. Okay. He'll be seven in August. which is crazy. And I met you when I went to my birthing classes at, well, it was then Floyd Memorial. And the Mm -hmm. second you came into that class, I was like, that is my pediatrician. That is the person I need to go see. And ever since then, I guess the rest is history. You've been the doctor to all three of my kids and have come to the hospital Mm -hmm. each and every time. And Mm -hmm. I am so thankful that you are a resource to us. (laughs) Yeah. That is just such a blessing though, to get to watch your family grow. I mean, it's just been it's been great watching you with each pregnancy and then, and, you know, seeing each baby born and how your family has grown and, and just, you know, your, your life and just as a working mom and, and also watching you like in your multi-generational home. I mean, I just think that's fascinating and what a way to bring your children up as well, you know, learning, learning from the, their elders, respecting the elders. All I just think it's great. I love it, Sarah. You're the best. Oh, thank you. You've been one of those people that, and again, your entire practice too, but you've supported the moms and the kids and I'm sure parents in general, because I can remember very clearly after I had my daughter Kennedy and they were less than 22 (laughs) months apart, I had had to have an emergency DNC because my placenta had gotten stuck. So I was like low on iron, on IVs, kind of miserable in the hospital day two. And you walked in the room and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got two babies. They both need me. And you said, send your oldest son to childcare because you have to get better and you've got it focused on that newborn baby and he'll be okay. And you told me immediately then also as a working mom, because you're clearly a working mom, Mm -hmm. that it was quality over quantity. That's right. Yep. And when you told me that I, I actually did listen to you and <laughs> my babysitter that summer ended up not only taking care of my son, but she was my neighbor. So I went over there and held the newborn while she took care of my two-year-old and she honestly helped us all back to health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. You were so sick. It was it, terrible. Yeah. That was, that, it's like natural labor. Woohoo. I did it. And then five yeah. minutes later, oh yeah. no, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. What, we took a turn. <laughs> So going back, how many kids do you have? You have four? Yes. Yes. So you have have three sons and a daughter, correct? Correct. Yeah, my three boys, Caleb, Ethan, and Jacob. And I had those three boys in a matter of three and a half years. So (laughs) I was like, we got to get this party started. I've got to get this done. I was 30 when I had Caleb. And I'm like, we have just got to go, go, go. Like, we are going to keep going. And I would have had a fourth. I would have had a fourth boy. Of course, it would have been a boy. And, um, but my uterus was wimpy. Yeah, they said my uterus, you could see Jakey right through the wall of my uterus. And then I had uh, atrial fibrillation with two of my pregnancies and was hospitalized several times uh, with my last two pregnancies. So they said, well, either your heart's going to explode or your uterus is going to explode. So we don't think you should have any more. And so that put Chris and I on the path to adoption, which we've always wanted to do. And I do adoption medicine, you know, at my office and, um, that's just been a passion of ours. And that's how we came with, came up with Lily Lane. So, you know, who we brought home. So over two and a half years now. And, um, but you know, that the age range, you know, Caleb is 16. Now Ethan's 14 and a half. Jakey's going to be 13 in a matter of months. And now we have Lily who just turned four. And so there's that huge gap, which is crazy because in my life, I had planned it to have four kids real close together. 
bam, 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 bam. <laughs> There's four bams. Um, There's four bams. I was like counting two. I was like, that, one, two. I know. I was like, how many bams did I just do? Uh, so, but now we're complete and it's all good. And I'm crazy busy and, you know, Lily's special needs, but the boys are big now, you know, they're big boys. And so they're very helpful. And, uh, there's a whole, there's a whole other realm of parenting there right now, you know, with teenage boys and then a special needs little girl. So it's just every day is an interesting adventure. (laughs) What was it like going from teenage boys to back to toddler stage? Yeah. And really when we brought Lily home, she was 16 months, but remember she oh, was Lord, about a one, baby. <laughs> she, and she weighed 14 pounds and she was about a one to two month level developmentally. Couldn't hold her head up. Couldn't drink from a bottle, you know, just drip right out of her mouth. Didn't understand suck swallow. She had been neglected. She had, you know, several issues um, medically. Um, and so, you know, cause the child that we saw on paper, was very different than the child that we went and got. And that's true with a lot of adoptions. But so it was really a culture shock because I told, listen, I told God, you know, I have these conversations. I'm like, okay, here's what's going to happen, God. So I'm going to go to China and I'm going to go get me a little three-year-old girl, right? Who is going to be potty trained and walking around and eating and drinking from a cup, right? And then I brought home Lily and I was like, whoa, <laughs> time out. And um, like life just really changed very dramatically from having, you know, three very healthy children. Really? I mean, we've had our challenges with each boy with their health, but nothing, nothing I would call special needs or, you know, needing therapy and things like that. And to all of a sudden having a completely global developmentally delayed child who had history of skull fracture and head bleed in China had history of open heart surgery being on ECMO had history of failure to thrive and being neglected and her head's misshapen because people left her in the crib all day. And, you know, so it was just kind of different than what I told God I needed. I said, God, this is what I need. And he said, this is what you get. And I was like, okay. And I've never looked back and I've always looked forward with Lily and she's just amazing. I can't imagine having a different daughter. Um, so he always knows best. There you go. I was going to say, he knew that there was only one person to be able to care for little Lily, someone who had the education and background to do so in a loving way. Wow. So I'm her biggest advocate and, um, she's doing amazing because of amazing people in her life that are supporting Chris and I and with prayer and with, you know, fellowship and with friendships that, you know, they understand and they understand our, our struggles. And then, um, you know, with her therapist and with the ladies in the office, I mean, I just can't ask for my sisters here helping me, um, as I recover from my surgery, you know, and she's been a huge support with Lily um, so yeah, I mean, we, you know, like they say, it takes a village. It's kind of hokey sounding, but yep. it really does really does. It, take it, a again, that is, a, that is literally like in the tagline. If you look at my podcast, it takes yeah. a village and it's who yeah. is in your village who and it's in your village. so yep. crucial. I was just talking to one of my friends last week and they were like, I just don't know. Is it the right time to have kids? How do you know when it's the right time? And I told them, I said, there's no such thing as the perfect time because how can you prepare <laughs> for true. something that you've never done before? Well, it's so like, 
Yes. Yes. It's like an atomic bomb. That's a kid. Right. You know, oh man, look what what just happened in my life. My life was going great. I had a kid. Wow. Right. Honestly, it's like, that's what I felt with baby three, which was a surprise. It was like, okay, we were in the system. And all of a sudden I'm looking around. I'm like, holy crap. Things changed again. Like a lot. Like a lot. And, but I mean, but then you just figure it out. And that's what I try to tell people. I'm like, your life will change in every single aspect of every single mm-hmm. thing you do from sleeping, eating, going to the bathroom, working everything, but that's in the right. best way possible. So that's right. It's not easy. You just got to roll with it. You got to roll with it. Yeah. Right? You, yeah. It, you really do. And I mean, you've been one of those people that have helped me be that way. And I think that's why I was drawn to you as be- becoming my kid's Aww, doctor, because you, I have a tendency yeah. to get very anxious and get go worst case scenario. And you have a calm demeanor. You have a great bedside manner. You're funny. And you immediately relax people, even when you have to tell them something difficult. Right. And... I think that was, again, this is why I continue to follow you. And I see that you and I know so many of my friends are at your office, yes. which makes me happy because we all trust you. Um, how long have you and your husband been together, by the way? Well, let's see. I met him when I was in medical school at L. So we just celebrated our 20th anniversary in November. So what, about 21 and a half years? So yeah. Dating. What's your wedding anniversary? November the 6th of 1999. I am a November the 12th of 2010. It's so November, Aww. November brides. That's why I, there's something That's good funny. about the month of November. So there is. <laughs> I had to ask. Yep. So is well, my, he also uh-huh. in the medical field? No. Oh, Lance, no. No. <laughs> if he sees blood or needles, he goes down. Like, like and I'm not kidding. So guys, it's the funniest thing. It's awesome. He you, really goes down. Oh, like he legitimately passes out. Like legitimately like boom on the ground. Yeah, it's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a little bit of opposites attract action oh, yes. then. Yes. As far as- well, you know, he was a social worker when I first met him. He had just, he had been practicing uh, as a licensed clinical social worker and a therapist. He worked, um, did a lot of counseling, worked at the healing place with uh, you know, drug and alcohol abuse, worked through seven counties, did a lot. You know, he just, he had a great heart for people and loving on people that are certainly some of us view as unlovable. And then he decided, um, I don't like only making $26,000 a year and I want to do something more on a macro level. And that's when he went to law school. So then he started law school the fall that we got married. So, so. yep. So you guys have been together over 20 years. That's incredible. Oh yeah. Yep. Did did you know you always wanted to be a doctor? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, was there just, was that just something like you grew up as a kid being passionate about, or was there something that triggered that? No, just always wanted to be a doctor. Just always wanted to like, like ever, ever since I can remember. Ever since. It is incredible to me that your husband is a lawyer and you are a doctor. You have four children and you both still work. Yeah. <laughs> I always tell people, yes, yes. They go, well, how do you do everything so well? I go, I don't. I make it. I just get through the day. We, I haven't <laughs> killed any patients, you know, and, um, you know, we just get through the day. My kids eat, you know, ho-hos and Cheetos for dinner. But, you know, we're getting there. We're getting through the day. We're getting, It's everyone's still alive when they get to bed. That's a successful day, right? Okay. That's a good day. That's so a good day. when you first got your, you were, became a practicing doctor, how long was it until you opened up your own practice? 
That's a great question. Um, my adventure, I actually was going to be a pediatric emergency medicine specialist. And that had always been my dream. I, I got into my fellowship. So I finished my residency and I got into my fellowship. It's only half the people get into that particular fellowship. And I was gung-ho. We were living in Ohio at the time. My husband was working for the Ohio Attorney General at the time. So we both had these kind of dream jobs. And um, midway into my first year of my fellowship, my mother became incredibly ill, uh, metastatic stomach cancer, and was given two years to live. So my husband and I, we basically packed up everything, quit everything, and moved home to take care of my mom. Wow. And And... I initially just took medical leave for my fellowship because I wanted to go back. This was always my dream. And then um, I was also pregnant with Caleb when all this was going down. So we came home, you know, we were these two uh, unemployed 30, you know, almost 30 year olds um, living at my parents' house. Uh, and we had a little apartment here in Louisville. So we would commute back and forth because my parents lived in Lexington, Kentucky. And um, I, I cared for my mom and so did Chris. And then my mom unexpectedly died uh, after fighting for four months, three weeks before Oof. I had Caleb. And so three weeks later, after my mom died, I had Caleb and I said, mm, I'm not going back. I'm just not like, I just, I don't have the desire to leave my friends and family again. And um, I wanted my, my son, Caleb to grow up close to Chris's parents. So we moved to Southern Indiana and then I, um, I joined a large practice in the community and uh, I was there almost five years and I loved it, but I wanted something different. Um, I wanted my practice to be more of like a family and right. I wanted to know my patients' names and I wanted my staff to know my patients' names and I wanted them to, you know, I wanted my my patients and their families to understand this is different. You're going to come in here and it's going to look different and we want it to look different because, being a mommy and daddy is hard. Having a sick baby is hard. Having questions regarding a baby maybe that has problems is hard. And we want to be able to do the hard with you in a way that's loving and not where you're a number. Um, so I left my large practice, but I had a two-year, three-county non-compete. So I went to Prospect for a year and practiced. Then a position opened up in Salem for a year. So I went up there and wrote out my non-compete. And then I was able to come home. Uh, to New Albany. And that's when I started my practice in 2010, January of I don't 2010. Think, I don't think yeah. I realized that um, non-competes were a thing in your industry. I have them in my industry. Um, uh, yeah. And think about this too. I was a part-time pediatrician two, day, two days a week, two days a week with a three-county, two-year non-compete. That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> So yes. actually, so my son was born in 2013. So that yep. was just behind or about two and a half years after you opened your practice. Mm -hmm. um, just to slightly go back on something you said, when I was pregnant with my son, we lost three grandparents, um, yeah. two while I was pregnant and one when he was six weeks old. And yeah. I can remember thinking in a really weird way that it was a very strange circle of life when mm -hmm. all of a sudden you just have this tiny baby and it's almost like you need that tiny baby to keep going through the madness of everything else to get through your grief because that baby needs you. Did you ever feel that way when your mom passed like a, yes, a strange circle of life? And yes. It just, I think we all needed Caleb. 
my sister needed Caleb, my dad needed Caleb, Chris and I, we needed this baby that brought joy um, during a time that was just so dark. It was pretty dark, right. you know, and, and I had terrible depression. Um, you know, it, it's just, it was a very dark time and, and we needed, we needed this sweet little chubby baby to come into our lives and, uh, you know, not only wreak havoc, but smile and, and tell us it's going to be okay, that life is going to go on. And um, it's not like we want it to go on, but it's going to go on. And, you know, our new normal is going to look different and that's okay. Um, so it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time because every year that Caleb turns, you know, like this past year, he turned 16, three, three weeks before he turned 16, I relived, you know, 16 years without my mom. And it's just, so it's just kind of very interesting how you're right. Just how like a baby changes everything in a, in a time that is dark and, and sad and, and just goes to show you that, you know, life is like you said, the circle of life, it's going to continue and we can't just stop. We can't just stop when someone that we love dies because that's not living. So, I mean, yeah. honestly, you mm -hmm. bring that up and it, it, so many of the things you've said are literally the same paralleled language yes. that is happening right now. And yes. uh, Maggie is now six months old. Six months yep. old. I'll be in your office in about a week <gasps> from Thursday. Oh, she's got to, <laughs> um, to get Kennedy, shots. I'm so sad. I know. And I have to bring oh. in Kennedy and Maggie to get shots at the same time by myself. Girl. That's okay. You know, you can bring in someone else if you want. It's one, <sighs> it's one parent per, per patient. So you have two patients. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's a little bit different. But... I, Maggie yeah. is now the third and she's already, she's about six and a half and four and a half years younger than her siblings, but right. she has the best little personality. And during everything that's been going on the last two and a half months, we keep calling her the emotional support baby in I the sense it. that like, I love it. <laughs> because she is so funny and smiley and yeah. everybody in the house is so gravitated towards her and all of us, our goal is to get her to smile and laugh every single day. I don't care if it's my grandfather who's 87 or Kennedy who's mm -hmm. almost five. Like every single one of us, that is our goal. And to Maggie, when she was born back in November, Kennedy had RSV. Um, I remember within, this. Oh, with, dude, uh, within, this was a hot within, mess. Within yes. less than two weeks of Maggie being born, yep. Kennedy had croup and right. RSV. And yes. I was a mess because I was terrified for Maggie. Oh, and you yes. even told me in your office was like, you've got to get away from Kennedy. I don't care whose house you send her to send her to a loved one's house, but you've got to protect that baby. So Maggie has been quarantined. I feel like since yeah. November because we canceled Thanksgiving. Um, December was full of more sickness. I did go back to work Janu uh, half of January, February, and then until March when we got quarantined. But I mean, Maggie literally knows this house. And I cannot believe in the six months that she's been alive, she does not know any different. All she knows is that she has loving faces around her all day, every day. She has no idea of anything else. And she has become everybody's on the worst of days when yes. I don't know how my brain can fathom anything else. She laughs and smiles at me and it's okay. I and love that. It's, I do think there is a place such a huge place for babies. And um, I've had several friends that have had babies in quarantine. Um, but again, I think that 
everything happens for a reason in that way for those families. And even though it's a, it's a scarier time to do it in this, at the same time, it's the best some emotional support. <laughs> it's very weird how that all works. Oh, sweet Maggie. Yes. I remember all that. That was a, that was interesting was for you guys. It was just so much. And I kept, I, w I would look at Sarah Burge and I would just start like, are you kidding me? Like, she's like, I can't make this up. I'm like, Oh, poor Sarah. It was terrible. It was just terrible. It was. And Sarah gave me her cell phone number. Yeah. And I remember oh, texting her yeah. on Thanksgiving, asking oh, yeah. her questions. And I had Maggie in her little turkey outfit. And we were hiding in my bedroom. <laughs> turkey outfit. Away. Yeah. Away from everybody oh. else. But she wore her my first Thanksgiving outfit. <laughs> and we carried on. Um, so your office, I don't think I've ever been on speakerphone before when I was like talking to Tasha, yeah. then you were on speakerphone, Sarah was on speakerphone and you were all like, all right, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> That's right. Like we had a it plan. Was, you did. But I mean, it all goes back to your family or your practice acts as a family. You know me yes. by name, you know, my children by name. Um, I've had multiple numbers in my phone of people at your practice. You have mm -hmm. been successful. Now, 10 years later, you need to celebrate your 10th anniversary um, in the, what you've done and what you've created in this community, because I see people Aww, share your you. videos every week. And I mean, just to summarize a little bit since the coronavirus, um, and not began, but became a pandemic lockdown of the world. You have started sharing videos sometimes daily, multiple times a day with a purpose. What are you trying to do for your patients and just the community in general right now? Oh man. I mean, this has just been life, life changing, life changing for everybody, everybody in all walks of life, no matter how old your children are. And there is so much out there. Social media has so many good things, but it also can do a lot of harm. And there are so many, um, there are so many sources out there that are not truthful and do not give evidence-based medicine. And people just cling, they want to cling to things because they're scared and they're frightened and they're angry because they've lost their job and they're, they don't know how to put food on their, you know, kids' plates. And they're, what are we going to do about this? What are we, oh, school, you know, my kid can't go see his friends. We haven't seen grandparents. I mean, there's so much stress. And so if I can just try to present what I believe is data that is scientifically grounded, things that are evidence-based in a way that can be, you know, comforting and sometimes funny. That's my job. That is absolutely my job, like 100%, because people just need to hear it right now. And, um, yeah, and even during my, my recovery from my hysterectomy, like my video is that like, Yes. You know, I like have no makeup on. I'm sitting on my front couch on my couch or on my bed. And I'm just like, but this is stuff that people need to know. And they just want to hear someone they trust telling them the way that it well, is. And that's the biggest key. And I, I completely agree with you. There's actually, um, I can't remember the, um, they call it doom scrolling, um, where you scroll the internet yes. too much and you read too many headlines. And that's the problem. And I'm guilty of this too, is you're only reading headlines um, or you're not actually reading um, from a factual source or a credible, trustworthy source. And right. it is so hard to get so confused while reading social media. And I completely agree with you. It's an amazing source to be connected to other people, but at the same time, it is filled with so many things that you don't know what's going on. And that's why I started right. watching your videos because I have found myself so much calmer 
to seeing somebody who is an actual doctor that I trust in this community saying what you know based on your research, based on medical data. There is a completely different. Yes, um, absolutely. It, it's just, it's a different feeling. And you're right. I've seen you guys do funny videos. You did um, like how to wash your hands and was oh, it yeah. Ice Ice Baby? Is that what it was uh, too? Man, no. What did we do? We did one to Saturday Night Fever, I think. Didn't we? Like the Bee Gees. I don't know. Staying Alive. Uh, that, yeah, there's something like uh, what that. other one did we do? Yeah, we did vanilla ice ice baby. Yeah, you're right, right? Yeah, I think so. Virus, like, baby, it, yeah, yeah. Like we need to do another sanitize. one. Yeah, it's almost time for another one. You're right. So it is. with it's the time. coronavirus right now in kids, since you're a pediatrician, yes. even though I know you're far more educated into adult stuff too, but when it comes to kids, I mean. Do you feel like kids are more or less at risk in comparison to other illnesses? You know, what's so interesting, and I just, every day I read for hours on this stinking virus, and every day I look for this, this like, okay, what is this transmissibility in kids? Like, how do we not know this? And I think that when you look at what has been shown, and there's studies from all over, from Germany, from Australia, there's studies in Italy, um, and then what we're seeing here in the U.S. is that children really are, you know, they're not as affected as adults. That doesn't mean that children haven't died from this and that they don't become very ill from this, as, you know, there's lots of new things with that now. But when you look at the data, I cannot find any, I cannot find any data on transmissibility within daycare. None. If, if we knew that happened, we, if we knew that happened, it'd be everywhere. I mean, th because think about all the, the, the issues we're having with long-term care facilities. I mean, these poor, sure. these poor elderly people are just, it's terrible. And so I really, when I look at all the evidence, when I read all the articles and you, and you just have to go through them, I feel like children are being spared in a huge way. And there's so many different theories on why this is. One of the theories is that in you as a mom and, you know, when your kids are in daycare, they are always snotty, right? They're always snotty. Right. Everybody's kids are snotty in daycare. Well, a lot of those snotty, those snotty upper respiratory infections are actually caused by coronavirus. We have four serotypes here. Um, that cause, you know, the common cold. And so I, they feel like perhaps by being exposed to coronaviruses of different types that their body is able to mount a better response. Okay, that's one theory. It's not been proven, but it's a, it is a theory from, um, from virologists and, and, you know, pediatricians and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I just really feel like it's... It's hard for me to keep grappling with how are these kids not transmitting this stuff? Now, we did have a lockdown very quickly, so we don't really know what this behaves like within the school system here in the United States, right? We just don't know because we took them all out of school very quickly because we had to because we thought this was going to act just like every other virus in the pediatric community and kids are going to be more affected. They're going to have more you know, uh, morbidity and mortality from it and that sort of thing. So we had to do what we had to do. Um, but just, I don't know in terms of going forward, like how are we going to take what we know and what we don't know and, and get to say school 
Like what are, what on earth are we going to do in school? We've got to get some more data in terms of children that are asymptomatic carriers. I mean, there is data out there that show that children can still have very, very high viral loads, um, but just do not present with symptoms. Right. I mean, so there's a lot of data and I just trying to figure out, like, weave this all together. How does this make sense? And right now, because this is such a new virus, you know, it's the novel SARS-CoV-2 virus. It's novel, meaning this is not this is not a longstanding virus on this planet that I'm hoping with more and more data each and every day, we're going to be able to kind of weave this together and better understand transmissibility and risk infection in kids. Um because right now the data looks pretty promising. But, you know, then I don't want to be like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be fine. Put your kid in summer camp. Put your kid in Little League. Go, you know, no problems. We can have school. No problem. I don't want to be that person because I don't know that yet. And well, and I think, like you yeah. said, there's so many unknowns and right. people are reading data that is not fully completed yet and yes. or it's from a false source so i think the biggest thing is first of all find a trustworthy source obviously your own doctor is a huge trustworthy source but be careful where you're getting your info i saw one of your videos the other day you were talking about the um inflammatory issues that some kids are having yes. that has come out yes. And yes. it was everywhere, splashed all over the media, yes. new, terrifying, rare thing. And then when I watched your video about it, I was like, wait a second. If I'm gathering what you're saying properly is that a lot of kids, when introduced to a virus they've never had before, can have a post-reaction of a inflammatory issue. Is that correct? Correct. And Kawasaki's, we know, I mean, I've seen Kawasaki's oodles and oodles of times, um, both at primary care and as a resident. And those kids fare very, very well when you do, you get them hospitalized and you do effective treatment. And um, so that is that is a good thing, right? Um, but the problem is, is this new inflammatory process that we're seeing in children doesn't always act like Kawasaki's. It has the, the data that has been collected uh, by the uh, what a pediatric ICU um, collaborative uh, group. Basically, there's four different types that we're seeing. And so it really can more mimic toxic shock syndrome. It can mimic Kawasaki's. It can kind of do both together. And then there's one that doesn't have any heart involvement. So, I mean, it's all over. I mean, it's just this huge spectrum. And um, so that is one thing that we're, you know, being very cautious about. But it is still very rare. Now, but I, I said, though, on the video that rare, it's, you know, rare is great unless it's your kid because right. then it's not rare to you it's your everything right so that the uh, statistics of it being rare is great because it can kind of makes us all feel a little bit better but when it's your kid it's all different and well um, and then when i hear the word rare i hear dangerous which is right probably two words that don't necessarily go hand in hand but if i hear it's something rare for some reason it means in my mind that's unknown and scary and dangerous obviously i don't want it anyway but right. like if i were to find out one of those things but i guess in my mind as a mom and just i've been trying to protect the baby even more and i'm still breastfeeding her and i'm like trying to give her all the antibodies because i obviously know that she has <laughs> less right. than the other kids because she's six months old um but i've been trying to lessen my own anxiety and crazy mm -hmm. stress. I, I, I know we're dealing with something that, like you said, it's novel. The research is not all there. We're gathering all the data, but I'm just trying to wrap my brain around something I do understand. And if that is like, okay, this is something like the flu in the sense that 
it'll be something that maybe we get a shot for each year, which may lessen the causes or lessen the uh, reactions to it if you get it. Or is it something that can be completely eradicated? Um, I'm just trying to understand it on a level that I can calm down to myself as opposed to being afraid to walk out my front door. Um, Because it is more flu-like or cold-like in the sense that you can't necessarily pinpoint it does this one thing because it mutates. Well, there have been, there has been thought on this virus mutating and it causing this or this or this. But here's the thing though. Here's the thing. From what we have seen the you know SARS-CoV-2 and the COVID-19 scene in Wuhan, China is a lot different than the coronavirus that we saw in Washington state is a lot different than the coronavirus we saw in New York because now we're seeing new manifestations of this disease. We're seeing COVID toes. We're seeing this Kawasaki-like syndrome in kids. We're seeing, you know, thrombosis now. We're seeing there's so many things that we're knowing about, about SARS-CoV-2. And you know, we're seeing vomiting and diarrhea and abdominal pain is, is a symptom and, and, you know, lack of smell, lack of taste. And so this it's, I feel like it's the same virus, but it's manifesting in different ways. And um, they're, they're doing a lot of like work with genetics on the virus. Like they're trying to figure out, okay, um, how the virus traveled and how the virus is mutating between one place and another. And because we really didn't see this inflammatory stuff in um, China. They haven't, there's just not a lot of data there. What we're seeing though, is this more of a European phenomenon. This is more of a phenomenon on the East coast rather than the West coast as well. Cause if you look at where this is taking place, you know, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, DC, Detroit, now we have some here in Louisville and there's been some cases, some smatterings of cases around the U S but this is more of like an East coast phenomena, but we don't know as, as this virus progresses and more of the heartland becomes infected. Are we going to see it more in the, you know, the Midwest? Are we going to see it more, you know, in, in the South? Like I said, I mean, this thing is just a beast that we don't know. Um, but we shouldn't live in fear, but we should live, um, knowing that, that we can do things though to make and to protect ourselves and our family. And I think that's the biggest thing is you, you have to look at, okay, this is not going away, right? Just like you said, is this going to be a seasonal thing? Is this going to just go on for 18 to 24 months and then peter out? I mean, you know, once it's infected enough people and we all develop herd immunity, which will be a huge number of, um, you know, deaths, which we don't want to see. But yeah, I think there's just a lot. There's just a lot we still don't know. And that's why I'm trying to navigate through all this stuff and whittle it down and be able to present it in a way that is, you know, not, not fear provoking to my patients and their families. And, um, and so, you know, the funny thing is, is that I, you know, if I look back, some of the videos I did initially, I'm like, wow, things have really changed in like a matter of eight weeks. Wow. <laughs> like, holy cow, you know, I mean, there's just so much. And, you know, I did the the video on the, the Kawasaki's toxic shock syndrome and what we were seeing. And I explained what those two processes look like. And then a week later, I'm going, well, it went from three cases in New York to now over 80 cases here and 20 in Detroit. And they, so, I mean, even though it's still rare, it's still affecting kids and we still got to figure out how do we protect our kids? And and we all know how to protect our kids, right? Social distancing, washing our hands, yep. trying to yep. keep them from picking their nose, you know, not going to play groups right now, not doing things that are going to put our children in harm's way uh, until we know more about it. So, 
Yeah. And that's, and that's honestly like what we've been doing with our kids and I, they've been such troopers. Kids are so much more mentally resilient than adults. (laughs) Um, I think it's obviously we have a much more learned fear and a much larger knowledge base to go off of, to get scared. But I mean, the only thing my kids have complained about is wanting to play with their friends. They, I mean, in doing the, everyone can agree the distance learning is not the same as being in class. It's just like uh, hanging no. out with your friends over FaceTime is not the same as being with your friends in person. We all can agree that that is very difficult and challenging for kids. I don't think there's anybody that's like, I love this better. Probably not. They probably miss their friends and their teacher. Um, but ultimately, the kids are just running around and playing. And I mean, we had been away from my other set of in- my, or my in-laws for about, we hadn't seen them in over two months. Um, we kept our distance from them. And just on Mother's Day, did we allow them to come see the kids? And my mm-hmm. kids already knew they were like, are we allowed to give them a hug? Are we allowed to go near mm-hmm. them? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was crazy to me that as little as they are, and as much as we haven't been around anybody, they even knew to ask me that. Um, so I'm hoping more than anything, it's like my... I have to go day by day because predicting the future is impossible right now. Um, oh, even is. though my brain, my brain wants to so bad. I want to daydream about Kennedy starting kindergarten and getting on the school bus in the end of July and getting that experience. And then my brain goes, but what if that doesn't happen? And then I start to get upset and I'm like, I got to pull back. I got to pull back. I can't think that far. It's too far. Um, so it's, it is a really interesting change that we've all had to go to. Sometimes it's minute by minute, day by day. And lo- like long distance could be a week from now versus where it used to be six months from now. Right. Um, I mean, how, how are you doing, by the way? I know in the middle of all this, you had surgery last week. So how are you oh, feeling? Are yes. you okay? Oh, I had a hysterectomy. It was great. I was ready. <laughs> I told you my, wimp- so my uterus was wimpy. Well, and you know, I just, there were some things, you know, you get older and you're like, I got to take care of this stuff. And it's funny because I had all this planned before um, COVID-19, had it all planned. And so it was on the schedule for May 11th and I was cracking up. I'm like, oh boy, now we've hit this pandemic. They're not going to do it. And I'm like, I've got to get this uterus out. Like I have got to, I've got to get my bladder fixed. Like we have got to have this happen. So then when they started saying, oh, we can do elective procedures, I'm like, hot dog. And I'm like, I'm just doing it. I'm doing it because there's not a better time to do it right now. I don't know what this is going to look like, you know, in terms of the fall. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready going into flu season. And as uh, you know, what, what is this going to look like for the office in terms of, uh, you know, how our protocols and things, once we have a ton of flu, a ton of RSV, and then potentially coronavirus, like, oh, have mercy. Um, so I thought this is just the best time to do it. It is just the best time to do it. And it was a great decision. And I'm extremely sore. And, uh, but I'm thankful because I just, I need to get it done. It, my sister drove up from Atlanta. She's been isolated in her house since this whole thing started. And, uh, so she came up to help me. So I'm thankful for that, but yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things as a mom, you, every, you do what you need to do for everybody, for everybody. Oh, yeah. And then, and then eventually it's going to catch up with you and you're like, well, I mean, I just have to take care of this. So for four years, I've been talking to my OB about, well, my GYN, because the OB part's done, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, about getting a hysterectomy and fixing my bladder over four years. Over four, and then we got Lily and I'm like, well, this is on the back burner now. And so I finally was like, well, it's just time. Yeah, but I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I posted that picture of my uterus. Did you I see saw it? that. I saw that amazing i was like this thing was awesome it held three kids i was like "Ooh, it, 
Oh, I've always told people the craziest experience you'll ever go through is having a child watching your body grow and then try to go back to what it was at one point and never really goes fully back. But women's bodies are truly superhuman with what they're capable of doing. Um, Yes. Yes. You bring up a very good point. And I'm the worst critic about this to myself, but moms put everything else first. Everyone else, their job, their kids, their husbands, their friends, whatever, every single thing goes first. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, wait, what do I need? (laughs) And then mom guilt kicks in because you're a working mom and you're like, oh, but I shouldn't do that because that's taking up time with my kids or my job needs me to do this. And what about that? So, I mean, I'm glad for your sake because it infected your health too. You put yourself back in the forefront and that was very important, especially right now when it, that's very hard to do. <laughs> right. And, you know, I still, it's so hard sitting still. Like I pushed myself too hard yesterday. I walked around too much and then I was hurting all night. And now I'm like, okay, today I'm just laying in my bed. I'm not getting out. Uh, but, you know, as the mom, you're like, I still got to get things done. I still got to, you know, but then you realize, yeah, you know. Lily's still cared for. My sister's here helping. You know, my boys are still making their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches without me. Like, you know, it's going to be okay. Like taking a few weeks off is okay because it's going to make me uh, healthier and less grumpy. And, um, you know, there's just going to be so many benefits of, you know, I could run now and not pee on myself. I mean, you know, think about all the amazing things that are going to happen in my life. I never have to have a period again, like ever, like ever. I mean, truly right there. That is a massive blessing. (laughs) Like ever. Like, I mean, never again. Like, I am so pumped about that. Um, But yeah, I think too, what's interesting though, is we as moms feel like we have to do everything and that you're right. We have the mommy guilt if we don't, but then you realize, no, things will still, they, they might get, they might not be done the way I want them to be done. It might not look like I want it to look in my house, but it's still going to be okay. And so you've got to give yourself that freedom as a mom to say, okay, I have to do this. I have to do this for me. I have to do this because if I start breaking down emotionally, physically, spiritually, then I am no good to my family. Like at all. And that's my husband keeps trying to tell me that. And I I'm trying to teach myself that too, because honestly, working from home, I get to be around my kids all day, but it doesn't stop necessarily the guilt of my daughter wants me to play Barbies. And I'm like, mommy's got to get on a call or they're trying to get something. And I can't, I'm like, you have to go ask somebody else or I'm holding the baby while on a zoom call while breastfeeding her on like, it's a lot even at home. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, my kids will hug me and kiss me goodnight. And they'll be like, mommy, you're the best mommy in the world. And I'm like, as long as they can keep telling me that at the end of the day, that no matter how hard I am on myself, they don't see me that way. Nope. Um, they and don't. it's, they don't. it's something I really need to remember throughout the day when I'm feeling guilty or Kennedy will go get something out of the refrigerator. And I'm like, why did you go grab like a juice box? She's like, that's the only thing I could reach. And then I'm like, Wow, she just did that on her own without me. I part of me feels really bad because I could have reached the milk, but then the other part of me is really proud of her for like being independent and figuring it out. It's a very weird paradigm when they're at this age from being little needing you for everything, right? And then watching them grow and figuring out so much more on their own. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and it's it's amazing. I love watching my boys become independent young men. It's just fascinating. And I love oh, and watching other young Lily. men, you're right? You know, yeah, they're young men. 
Uh, and I love watching Lily as she, you know, each and every day, something new, she can do something new. And, and I appreciate it too. I, cause I remember when I was, when I was like you, you know, you have a bunch of littles in your house and you're just trying to make it through the day and you're just like, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. One more day down, one more day down. Let's get you, you know? And now that the boys are big, I'm really like sitting back and relishing. Wow. Like I don't, I was so busy as a mom with three little boys that a lot of times I missed out on some of these amazing little miracles that would happen day to day. Well, and I think because when they're all that little close to close to each other, they're all still in somewhat of a baby form. So they're, it's right. hard to, you're, you're kind of just focusing on the collective. <laughs> you are. I mean, it's survival I mean, mode. It right. When my first year being less than two years apart, I mean, they were both in diapers. They both needed yes. to be held. Um, I was still breastfeeding camp when I got pregnant with Kennedy and then breastfed her for another 15 months. And it was like for five years, my body wasn't my own. So, I mean, you, but then I, I, my parents will be like, oh, did Kennedy do that when she was a baby? And I keep responding with, I don't remember because she was little, but so was camp. They, it, my brain wasn't yep. as focused now with Maggie being the only little in the house. You're right. I do feel like I'm experiencing some of these things all over again for the first time. Yep. Which I like, <laughs> which is beautiful. That's right. I know. So and she's your emotional support baby. It's all good. It's my emotional support baby. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think about you all the time. I talk about you all the time. I brag oh, to the community Kira. at the amazing doctors that I have. And I would not have been able to be who I am as a parent, honestly, without the guidance from you, your nurses, the nurse practitioners, everyone at that office has always treated me just like you wanted them to so much more than just a patient, a number, but family. And I will continue to do so. And all of my babies will go to you until they're 18 and beyond. And thank you for being part of our lives and right. dedicating your life to helping us. Uh, you're awesome, Sarah. Keep fighting the good fight, girl. I love thank what you're you doing. Thank you so much. This Please is great. He feel better soon. And I will see you. Yes. Well, no, I won't see you next week, but I'll see your other, the rest of your practice next week. That's right. That's right. All right. Have a good one, Sarah. Thank you. You too. Relax. <laughs>